What a what a fucking lineup, man. But I'll tell you what, the lineup of this one here, that's perfect segue. All right, let's do it. Regular beats. What stuff? Get your popcorn ready. Welcome to Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. I am your host, Jamie G. Esquire, the fifth. The proverbial snow at the end of the rainbow. And I'm here with Magnum Mills, the soup deucer, and a bunch of beer. And we're going to talk about what we filled our holes with recently. And we're going to discuss yet another cult classic film. You're in for a treat. This time, we're doing one of our favorites, True Romance. Guys, I literally have been playing poker since 11 a.m. It's currently 9.09 p.m. Poker was light beer with tequila. And for this podcast, I decided to go with, you know, just a light crusher here. I've got the Yacht Side Dweller, Ocelot, Ocelot, Where Are You Now? Great brewery, my favorite, 4.7% lager, real easy drinker, just crushing a few here as we do this. Been a long day, but I'm ready for a little true romance. Mills? Man, I, I wish I was an easy lover, but I am probably an easy drinker. That probably is the right term. I'm Magna Mills, and I just want to point out that JBG neglected to say the word I, as in what we filled our eye holes with. There could also <laughs> be some interaction, but, you know, everything else is behind the OnlyFans paywall. That costs extra. Thank you for checking out Regular Dudes Watched Up. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on YouTube. Find us on social media at Dudes Watch Stuff, and you can find our YouTube channel by going to JoeBlowFootballShow.com. If you like what you see, like what you hear, if you could, please give us a thumb, hit that like button, follow, subscribe, comment, just do one of those things. It helps other people find the show. These regular guys really appreciate it. And Soup, uh, what's up with you on the regular? Yeah, man, you know, not much. Looking forward to talking about uh, talking about the movie we're going to talk about tonight, man. It's uh, it's definitely uh, high up on my list, man. We got a lot of good things to. Uh, to get into there, man. And, uh, you know, I'm just doing the usual, man. I somehow stumbled upon a suitcase full of fucking PBRs, man. So I'm drinking these cocksuckers tonight, man. Whatever. What else is new? So, yeah. But before we get truly romantic, we have to talk about what we have filled those eye holes with. And ear holes are also acceptable. As I mentioned, you know what? All holes are in for this. Whatever you filled your holes with lately... Here you go. This is for you. We'll try to avoid any spoilers and we'll give you a heads up if we get into that territory important to know. Uh, so don't worry. We got you covered. Mills, dude, what's up? What have you finally moved on to? Anything new? Uh, or is it the same old dog and pony show? Something like 37 items. Oh, dude, I, I don't know. Like uh, dog and pony. Is that a thing? Is that like the spinoff from the moose and squirrel from the creators of prison teens? I think maybe. Uh, definitely have been keeping up on some things, not necessarily 37. Uh, just shout out Perry Mason on HBO. One episode left in season two started a bit slow for me, but I've really enjoyed it. I'm all on in this one with Matthew Reese from the Americans amongst others. Uh, it is serialized, but you can watch season one without watching season two. No word yet on season three, but if I had to put my money on it, I'd say it's happening. I have now seen episode five of the yellow jackets. It's still very good. Things are getting interesting. I will not have any spoilers from there. Saw the season three finale of The Mandalorian. 
in, in this real light spoilers here, I would say I enjoyed it. And I think the way it ends for me, especially considering there's already supposed to be a season four, there's going to be these spinoffs. I interpret it as, all right, now they're going to go forward and have more kind of individual adventures. They, they did the setting up of the other franchises in the universe thing. I think that's promising. Still enjoyed the finale on my own, but I don't think it was anything special, especially compared to previous finales. Finally saw the series finale, but season three finale of Wu-Tang and American Saga. It wasn't exactly what I was hoping for. I guess it's just the idea there's so much ground they could have covered here. I think it was a fitting finale for the series. Did very much enjoy it. All three seasons are now on Hulu. I would totally recommend you checking it out, whether you're a Wu-Tang fan or not, especially if you're into 90s music, just that era. It, it really fits. It's very cool. It, the seasons tend to start out a little bit slow, but they always finish with a bang. Highly recommend it. Uh, in terms of new stuff, I just want to give a big thumbs down to Shazam Fury of the Gods. Uh, dude, I do not like shitting on a movie set in Philadelphia or Zach Levy. I was a big Chuck guy back in the day, so uh, this is bad. I, maybe the only thing that could save him is a crossover with Kazam if Shaq is up for it. And other new stuff, I just want to say watch Barry. It's on HBO. It's awesome. Check out the Barry podcast. We're talking about it. And also on HBO, Succession. We're also talking about that on Suck 10. Also check that out. Both of those shows are in fuego right now. Jamie G, how have those holes been occupied? Well, the, these holes are, you know, ready and willing to insert things into them. And I got to say, Magna Mills, I haven't been getting the type of insertion I want at the level in which I want. And that's just because your boy Jamie G, Esquire the fifth. Well, he's busy. But what I have been able to check out, Magna Mills, is I will second you. I will second you on Yellow Jackets. I am four episodes in and to season one. And I got to say, it's it's becoming more than what I thought it was. After one episode, and we highlighted that here on Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Go check that out. Um, but after one episode, I was worried that this was all going to be about kind of, you know, what happened in the woods and and you know, are they cannibals? Like, I, I was worried it, was, it wasn't going to go to the level in which it's gone through four episodes, and I'm very happy that it has. I'm excited about this back and forth between adults to kids, uh, the two different time frames. It's, it's really got me interested, so I'm excited about that. I will continue to shout it out, but I got to say, uh, Fish's Spring Tour, the Spring Tour of Fish, if you haven't been watching, if you don't have live fish, the app, you should get it. It's the best 10 bucks you can spend. They've absolutely fucking crushed. They did two nights up in Seattle. It was fantastic. They did three nights at the Greek. You may have seen Get Him to the Greek. Great movie. Fish was there. They did three nights. It was incredible. But last night, they may have played the perfect set. Okay. This may be the most complete set. I'm going to indulge everyone for just a second. I just want to talk about the way set two was. And first of all, set one ended with the squirming coil. Set two, we get a chalk dust opener. We get a twist. We get a 2001. We get a sneaking Sally through the alley. We get a back on the train. We get a life beyond the dream. And we get a first tube set closer, followed with the encore of Run Like an Antelope. Absolutely fucking perfect set into the encore, if you ask me. And on top of that, I'm re-watching Seinfeld and it's been fantastic season five and six absolutely crush I'll definitely co-sign you on the Seinfeld it just amazes me how you can remember that set list and I'll be like yo did you get remember that one thing for the email two days ago and you're like what's email well you know it's all priorities 
fucking Rain Man a set list over here. Now I just have to send you. That's how we're gonna do it from now on. We're just gonna format everything in the form of a set list. Yeah, that's how. That's <laughs> if how this were a sitcom, that's how you teach the kid to learn. Then, like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna help you pass the math test with set lists. Thank you. And hookers and blackjack, but that comes after. You. <laughs> yes. Well, that could, you gotta you gotta you gotta level up. Soup. How have your uh, you know have occupied forces moved into your holes? My holes, man. I mean. <laughs> My holes aren't getting as filled as they should be, probably. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying to squeeze it in when I can, man. So, you know, good call on fish. I have been filling my ear holes with uh, with a lot of with a lot of fish lately, man. And, uh, you know, on top of that, I've been filling my my ear holes also with a lot of smashing pumpkins lately. And, uh, and a little sprinkle of acoustic uka. That's kind of where I'm at right now. But, you know, that fluctuates kind of a lot. So ear holes being covered, man. My eye holes, I've uh, filled those up with just some random stuff. Nothing in schedule. Just kind of get home and see what's on. And uh, I watched a movie the other night that I hadn't seen in years, and it was uh, it was Bandits with Bruce Willis and uh, and fucking, uh, fucking Billy Bob, man. I mean, it was it was pretty solid, dude. I remember I had seen it when it came out or whatever, but yeah, I mean, sitting through that one uh, randomly one night after work was kind of cool. And on top of that, I, I definitely uh, re-watched one, uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie, uh, over the other night uh, not the same night but a different night and uh that that was always one of my favorites if not my favorite Xi and chong movie um of, of their movies so uh yeah it was a good rewatch as well thank you for that soup without further ado that brings us to our featured review for this episode last week our first repitch all right we do that every seven episodes like the sabbath we celebrate a repitch and that's where we pitch something that we have previously lost Mills, you went with True Romance, and then Soup and I were more than happy to throw caution to the wind and let the chips fall where they may. Any particular reason from you why you pitched True Romance, other than it's just fucking awesome? That would be the correct answer. Cards on the Table, the first time I pitched it, it was a movie I hadn't seen in a long time, and I was kind of looking for an excuse. I watched it as part of that, and then actually watched it a couple more times. So I was more than happy to pitch it again here and watch it again because it's an incredibly rewatchable flick. And yes, did I know it could win? Sure, it, it was a good one. Maybe I should have kept it in my back pocket. But you know what, man? You got to spend money to make money. We learned that on Rounders. Had to push the chips in the middle of the table, do the damn thing. Very glad I did. It's like taking a chance, you know, on a call girl after knowing her for, you know, 12 hours. Why don't you go ahead and do us all a favor and break down the details of this masterpiece before we get started? And I get it. It's like mystical. You're asking me to show me what we're working with. Shake ass! Watch, Watch yourself! There is a mystical level of danger here because this is True Romance, directed by Tony Scott, written by Quentin Tarantino, produced by Samuel Hedida, Steve Perry, and Bill Unger. Cinematographer was Jeffrey L. Kimball, edited by Michael Tronkick and Christian Wagner, music by Hans Zimmer, released September 10th, 1993, budget of $12.5 million, box office of $12.6 million, running time 118 minutes, starring Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, and many, many more. The short plot synopsis is, in Detroit, a lonely pop culture geek marries a call girl, steals cocaine from her pimp, and then tries to sell it in Hollywood. Meanwhile, the owners of the cocaine, the mob, track them down in an attempt to reclaim it. 
And uh, that is from IMDb. Shout out whoever wrote that plot synopsis, because that's about as good as you could do to fit this movie into a three, four sentence plot synopsis. Bully to you. Yeah, no shit, man. No shit. And we're going to be talking about all that shit. So just to let you know right now, before you invest any more time here, this is a full fucking spoiler. We are going to talk about all things involving this movie, True Romance, all the ins and the outs and the what have you's and everything else. Now, this could branch off into other Tarantino, Tony Scott movies, characters that are in other movies or names or whatever, any any kind of whatever. So there's a fucking heads up. It's your last warning. We're talking about this shit. So full spoiler, starting now. Go. Soup Deuce, if you had to try to convince somebody to watch this movie, True Romance, and they've never seen it before, how would you go about doing it? And also, assume that it's somebody who has no idea who Tony Scott or Quentin Tarantino are, right? So obviously not somebody that's a friend of yours. How would you convince somebody to check out True Romance for the first time? Okay, well, that throws a wrench in it. I like that, man. A little challenge, a little challenge. I would tell him it's a fucking great movie. It's got everything you want. It's a love story. It's got a lot of violence, a lot of action, a lot of fucking comedy, really fucking well-written dialogue. And it's, uh, you know, it's put together in an amazing way. And it's got probably the most stacked fucking cast ever. You're not kidding. I mean, Jesus, dude, if if I'm up here, I'm just going to I think I'm just listing the cast. I, I just cannot believe the amount of people that are in this that are in this movie. It's just blows me away every time i rewatch it the other thing i would just say is you want to talk about some of the best writing ever done the writing in this movie is fantastic it has it at its core it's an absolute love story it has incredible action incredible kind of suspense and twist and giving into your urges to satisfy your love this thing is a masterpiece. Very well said. Very well said. Uh, you know, I was trying to go for something that would fit on the poster. I don't think I quite got there, but, you know, more of a uh, just top line quote. I, I just say, look, you got more than a dozen great actors, many gruesome murders, the mob, gung ho cops, one huge drug deal gone bad, and one epic love story that is indeed a true romance. And uh, just for the record, this is a little bit inspired by when copies of the original script were sent out to studios. It had the tagline, when you're tired of relationships, try a romance. What a great tagline. Guys, Clarence and Alabama, well, they might be in love, but I think the real true romance of this of this piece is between Quentin Tarantino's script and Tony Scott's direction. Anybody have any thoughts on what each of these uh, these legends brought to this film and maybe what makes it work so well? They both definitely really respected each other. And I think Tony Scott is a good enough visual filmmaker that it, Tarantino wouldn't be upset. And even though they had some disagreements maybe on necessarily how the, the script worked out vis-a-vis the ending and that kind of thing, which again... You know, Tony's got changed. We'll we'll get to that towards the end when we talk about it here. And it's just perfect here. You give Tony Scott that Quentin Tarantino dialogue, and he can make it work. He's great at keeping a movie moving, and that's a little bit different than Tarantino, who likes to linger. He's a little bit more deliberate of a filmmaker in the way he shoots the scenes, especially the longer takes, that kind of thing. Whereas here, it's a little bit more frantic, but it pairs very well 
with Tarantino's dialogue because it can be read like that. You know, he just always tends to luxuriate a little bit more in his flicks. And here it's just a pace that keeps moving to include all these characters in and everything like that. So I think it is just a case of, you know, two artists who really fit well together. You know, like you see people do a collaboration song, you're like, man, I wish we get an album from them. I wish we could have gotten another collaboration between these two. This is, I think, Quentin Tarantino at his core. Tell me he didn't sit working in some fucking blockbuster knockoff type place and daydream about being Clarence. This is like everything he is at his core, right? All wrapped up into one love story, geeky guy that loves Kung Fu and comics goes on this incredible journey. Oh, there's a boatload of Coke in the mix. Oh, there's the mob. Dude, if if that isn't fucking Quentin Tarantino, I don't know what is. It has all of the things that we've seen out of almost every Quentin Tarantino movie mixed into one, just small amounts. Little bit of Kung Fu. Little bit of organized crime. Little bit of love. Little bit of Coke. Like, like all this different shit, right? Not a little bit of love. A lot of bit of love. But you get what I'm saying. There's just all these different things that he's done over the course of his career. And it's all wrapped up into this script. He was fantastic. And then you couple that with Tony Scott, who just just did a remarkable job. This was just, man, they knew what they had with their characters. And they attracted all these people for a reason. And they did not disappoint, man. They delivered on all of them. And shout out Christian Slater, dude. Wow. That being said, dude, like I'm a, I'm a huge Christian Slater fan. Always have been, man. And I want to say this is probably, without a doubt, his best movie. A close second, or if not an equal, would be Pump Up the Volume, maybe. Yeah, and, and I want to, you know, as much as I hate this, I think this is kind of where he plateaued, man. Like, I don't know if he's done anything even close to this good since then. But I'd like to see him. He's trying to make a resurgence. So, yeah, maybe we'll see him. Uh, you know, he's been on various TV shows and everything else, man. Maybe we'll see him come around again and do a bit, another banger. You know, be great. Yeah, it would. Christian Slater's the man. He was very, very good in Mr. Robot. And, I've heard uh, that you know, really good. Also done, uh, you know, good voice acting. Uh, Dick Jamie G pitched Inside Job before. And I guess... We'll just mention here that originally this was part of a huge script that Tarantino wrote. It basically got chopped in half with the first half being this movie and the second half becoming Natural Born Killers. These were originally one crazy uh, connected universe, really. And that's why you see in universe stuff here, like the producer here is Lee Donowitz. And Tarantino has actually confirmed that he's the grandson of Donnie Donowitz from Inglorious Bastards. And uh, in Reservoir Dogs, Mr. White mentions Alabama. That has to do with the original ending of this flick, where, you know, again, we said spoiler alert, in the original ending, Clarence dies, and then Alabama goes on to a life of crime, and that's how she would have hooked up with Mr. White. So that's originally how all that was connected. Incredible, dude. Dude's an absolute genius. Quentin Tarantino, thank you for what you've brought us. And please, we look forward to that 10th movie. Wikipedia calls True Romance a romantic crime film. Is that accurate? I mean, if Die Hard can be a Christmas movie, couldn't True Romance be a romantic comedy? I think there's a chance it is more of a romantic action flick. Um, it's a love story. I, I don't know, man. No, I'm going to say it can't be a romantic comedy. I'm sorry, guys. Soup? No, I'm, I'm going to totally agree with you. I don't think this is a movie that would be classified as a 
comedy. It's got funny moments and shit, but is it a comedy? Fuck no, dude. It's way deeper than a comedy, man. This is, I don't even know if I'd call it a romantic action flick. I mean, it's, yeah, I guess that, that might be the best way to describe it, but, you know, the ROM, the ROM is definitely there. The action is definitely there, there you know, I mean, uh, so yeah, I guess that's the way, way, way I would fucking put it. I mean, but that's the key, right? You're sitting down with your significant other. She wants a romantic comedy. Bam. Pick one romantic comedy you'd rather watch over two romance. Probably. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess if that's the case, well, slip it. You know what I'm saying? So it's motivate, just like on Christmas. That's why, you know, again, I think I'll make the argument Die Hard is a Christmas movie, but it also happens to let you watch Die Hard on Christmas instead of having to watch, you know, one of some other Christmas movie you don't want to watch. So sometimes you got to, you know, you got to work the system a little bit. You got to survive Christmas, dude. <laughs> yeah, I guess in pop culture porn. I mean, I don't know what else you would really call it, but there is a real romance at the heart of it. Yeah, there, there, there really is. As crazy as it is. And but... it's funny. There's a romance and it's funny. That's all I'm saying. There's a romance and there's comedy. There is. I think there's more action than comedy. I think the comedy the is there, but it's not like, it's not, I don't think anybody would classify this movie as a comedy, really. The script and the dialogue lends itself to comedy when you have such incredible actors and actresses doing it. But I, I guess the way Mills put it is if we can shift that over into romantic comedies, we're like, when I pull it up and we're I moving the Overton window, we're moving up, the Overton window here is what we're doing. Yeah, I'm in. Let's, let's blend the genders, dude. We're trying to push this into a genre so that we can agree to watch a romantic comedy, but it also just happens that that movie is true romance. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm in it. it man. All right. See what I'm saying? I'm trying to, we're trying to help everyone out here. Deeper meaning. Now, like, who Appreciate says that's a romantic comedy? These dudes, they got a show. They got a channel. See? Yeah, the regular show, dudes, proof. dude. Yeah, then they agree. It's like three people in a bar or whatever. You know, the rule. You get, you know, three random people in a bar to agree on something. You can solve all the world's problems or something. We haven't, you could. Yeah, we haven't figured out step two yet. That's step one of the underpants, uh, you know, no meme. Although it might not be as well regarded as the soundtrack from The Crow, which we just recently broke down and regular dudes watch stuff, we should not sleep on the soundtrack of True Romance. Soup, you are our resident soundtrack expert. Any thoughts on this one, dude? I mean, this movie is scored by none other than Hans Zimmer, and the soundtrack featured Outshined, which is regarded as kind of the breakout single for Soundgarden, amongst others. Soup, any thoughts on the score and the soundtrack for, for this movie, True Romance? I think the soundtrack was great. It's not as splashy as something like The Crow or like, you know, I mean, Boris Gump or Judgment Night or some shit like that. But it is a fucking good soundtrack and it goes really well with the flow of the movie. Like, it's just, it's, it's perfect in there. I, I don't know that I would call it a banger, but now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it is you know, a little bit. Like, I don't know that I would buy the soundtrack, like the album, and just, like, listen to it on repeat. But as far as the soundtrack goes, in regards to the way the movie flows and and shit, man, I think I think it's right on point, dude. Um, The way, the way like, a couple of the songs are brought in as far as, like, uh, like the Aerosmith song, the other side, like, that's perfect timing. It puts you in a fucking different mood. It's a shift in the movie to where it like, sets you into the L.A. vibe, as opposed to the, you know, dirty, cold Detroit vibe, kind of, or whatever, you know, so... And, and it was a perfect song and whatever to do that for whatever reason, it just happened to fucking fit right there, you know? And then of course, like every time I ever hear I'll shine now, 
I always think about Brad Pitt smoking a fucking bong out of a fucking honey bear and shit. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like there's no way around it anymore, man. It's always there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and altogether, just a great fucking soundtrack that fit very well into a fucking great movie. Just enough oomph out of the soundtrack in terms of the featured artist. It, 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 it's never going to live up to the featured actors and actresses in this movie, but the soundtrack has enough. Like, when and where the sound comes in here and let's not forget that overarching theme of kind of Elvis and in that, I mean, shit, dude, Elvis was the King for a reason. I think a combination of all those things and when and where it was used just puts this soundtrack and score, if you will, pretty high for me because of that. It's not, it doesn't even matter kind of what was there. It's how and when it was used. I think y'all pretty much touched on everything. Uh, I guess I would just point out, I really enjoyed the the score here. And actually, you mentioned the the Soundgarden joint. That was originally just put in as a temp track. And at test screenings, it did so well that they wound up blowing almost their entire uh, soundtrack budget on getting that song, which wound up being a fairly big deal for Soundgarden. So pretty cool there. Very cool there. And guys, I think we got to start at the beginning of the film and the beginning of the romance. We're quickly introduced to Clarence Worley and Alabama Whitman. Before you know it, they're declaring their love for each other and getting married. For the story to work, we have to believe that Clarence and Alabama were wildly and truly in love. Undoubtedly in love. Do you think that they pulled off that effort here? I think they did. It's really crazy the way they did it. Let me start by this. Did y'all at any point before the billboard scene figure out that she was a call girl? If you remember, you know, when you first saw it. It's hard for me just because I've seen this movie a lot to where I know. So it's kind of like I'm like when they're having pie and he asked her where she's from and everything. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Nowhere. You you kind of you can. There are signs if you look at it. Watching this now as an adult. Yeah, you can think of it. But the first time I watched this. No, I don't think I did. I don't think I I don't think I went there the first time I watched this. But granted, this movie came out in 1993. So the first time I watched this was probably 94, 95, right? So I mean, at that point, I don't think I did. Now, yeah, I think there's I think there's enough there. Just like I can also see more of Quentin Tarantino in this than I used to be able to back in the day. The thing the thing was uh with Clarence in Alabama right away is like do you know that there's something fucking rotten in Denmark? Yeah, absolutely you do, man. I mean, it doesn't fucking even hide that. There's no way that that shit could just be going. You don't just roll into a theater and dump your popcorn on somebody. And, and even that's cool. But then, you know, like you said, there's signs, man, you know, and obviously there's something fucking going on here. And uh, I want to know how she knew which, which fucking dude he would be. It could be anybody in there. You know, look for the guy sitting by himself. I mean, anyway, it worked out. But um but were they uh, were they in love from the get go? Yeah, I mean, I think this actually spells out true romance and the way they did it. The Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, the way they act in this, the way they look at each other, they don't even have to say shit. Like they just perfectly fucking. I don't know. It, it's just there, man. So it's uh, it, you know it's a phenomenon. Write it as well as you want. It only works if they have that kind of chemistry yeah. that makes you feel like oh shit, are they banging off screen? Like that palpable, 
energy, and they really had that here, and I think that was key. But there are definitely times you're kind of watching. I definitely remember when she's like, oh, I want to go get pie after the movie. I was like, all right, so that's code for, like, they're going to go have relations, and then they go and have an actual pie. I always liked that. I always thought that, you know, it was going to be, and obviously after the pie, then they do actually have pie, but, you know. And then the billboard scene, it was just a cool visual. Again, that's a touch. I don't know if that was in the original script or not, but I can see that being a Tony Scott thing. He's done things with heights like that before. Do you not wish and, that was your apartment? I mean, how cool would that be to have a freaking window that goes out to the, the... As far as a downtown... You might be able to buy that building in Detroit yeah. now for 100 bucks. Well, she's willing to take <laughs> the lead on it. No doubt. Yeah, what, what up, Detroit? What, one thing that I wanted to just say was just... And we touched on the on the, on the the kind of connectivity and the chemistry, but dude, for me... Watch the eyes of both Clarence and Alabama, the way they locked onto each other and just this, there was nothing awkward about it, but more importantly than just the opening to believe they kind of fell in love, they continue it and it evolves throughout the entire movie. I think that it like, yeah, they pulled it off. Not only did they pull it off initially, they pulled it off all the way through, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, and another thing about the about the whole like you know opening you know intro to the movie and everything is is the depiction of like Detroit in the wintertime. You know, it just looks desolate and, and dirty and just like you know that's not a place you want to go and it doesn't look like a place you want to be really. You know, it just look it, just, it looks sad, it looks gloomy. You know, and uh, and that sets the whole tone for the for the for the you know the beginning part of this movie kind of I think. The only thing that I didn't like, and I'm just going to call a spade a spade, was. Dude, nobody from Florida. I what did she say? Jacksonville, Florida, or Pensacola? Tallahassee, Florida? Man. What's that? Tallahassee, Tallahassee, Florida. Tallahassee. They did not have that accent. That's a that's way too. That's some like Georgia, South Carolina type accent. It was a little bit too thick for me. I would rather. I know they didn't want to just make her from Alabama because her name's Alabama. But fuck, man! I wish they would have went somewhere other than Tallahassee, Florida. It just wasn't enough to. Bl- I've been to Tallahassee. People don't have that accent there. Thoughts and prayers that you've been to Tallahassee. Have you been tested? Yes, and I got a positive result. Yeah, I, I do want to say I'm a little cynical, so I, I was definitely worried for a while that there would be a twist to this and it, there'd be another layer to it. I'm glad that it wasn't. And just to shout out some of the other people who read for these roles, Drew Barrymore was apparently the first choice for Alabama, but she was unavailable. Also considered uh, Bridget Fonda, Diane Lane, Kira Cedric, Julia Roberts, Juliet Lewis, and Quentin Tarantino originally wrote the roles of Clarence and Alabama with Robert Carradine and Joan Cusack in mind. Man, I'll tell you, freaking Juliet Lewis would have been awesome. I, no, nothing wrong. You can see it. You can see it. Julia Lewis would have been fucking incredible. I she got the she got the natural born killers role, and that's super cool. But she would have been incredible here. Not to say that that Patricia Arquette wasn't. Clarence and Alabama are clearly the main characters in our story here, and they're great. But part of their enduring legacy of true romance is it's the deep bench of supporting characters and an incredible, I mean, incredible group of actors who play them. I just, I still am in awe at who they attracted here. Uh, The names are just mind-blowing. And before we talk about any of them individually, 
Let's try to just figure out who our favorites are. Mills, go ahead and break it down for us here. Roger Dodger. Again, there's, there's a ton of great actors, characters in the flick. We ranked 12. We're going to give you our top five. I'll just give you from the bottom up with the concentration on the top five. We had a two-way tie at 11 between Don and Nikki Dimes. Uh, Cody Nicholson at 10. That's the other cop played by Tom Sizemore. Nine, we had Lee Donowitz. Eight, Dick Ritchie. Seven, Mentor slash Elvis played by Val Kilmer. Six, we had Elliot Blitzer. Little bit of a discrepancy here. Just want to point that out. I had Blitzer at three. Jamie G, you had him at 11. Bronson Pinchot covered in cocaine. Uh, why were you down on him? It, ah, man. It just wasn't He's hysterical, enough. dude. He was, so he was, but it just, he was, but dude, there was just so many. When I look at like scenes, there was just so many other ones that to me just, I don't know, man. They were just better, in my opinion. I, nothing nothing wrong with it. It was a great scene. But, dude, when you've got Tony Soprano in a scene, you got Christopher Walken, the Brad Pitt, it just, it just got too hard, man. I just had to bump him down a little bit. All right, so let me just ask you in this way then, because I kind of knocked, uh, you know, Val Kilmer as the mentor. I had him all the way down at 11 because he only has two scenes and he's never fully seen, yet you had him up at four despite – only having you know three or four minutes of screen time without ever really being shown on screen meanwhile elliot had almost the most scenes in screen time of any supporting character well it's real simple he is the guiding message he is the internal conscience he is the reason why everything is right like without him clarence doesn't do any of this bro like he needed him and he is Clarence's soul. So yeah, that's that's worthy of being pretty high for me. So you're saying Eminem lied to us and Clarence's parents did not in fact have a real good marriage? They didn't have a real good marriage. Clarence's parents did not have a real nice marriage. Man, a mile lied to me. Uh what kind of world are we living in? That brings it's us tragic. to our top five. At five, we have Floyd, played by Brad Pitt. At four, we have Vincent Cacciotti, played by Christopher Walken. At three, we have Virgil, played by James Gandolfini. And we had a tie for number one overall between Gary Oldman as Drexel Spivley and Dennis Hopper as Clifford Worley. JBG, you had Drexel at three. The, you, you put Virgil ahead of him. Any thoughts on that? Uh, Ver, uh, Drexel was soups and my number one overall. Well, okay, dude, make no mistake. Drexel is intense. He is scary. He is spot on. He's incredible. But he went so heavy on the accent and kind of the, the whole like play that a lot of his shit you don't catch it's harder to catch you got to rewatch it five six times have the have the you know the closed caption on to actually catch it virgil first one's the bitch of the bunch there is dude there is nothing more vivid more scary more hard to watch more real and has some humor in it than the scene with james gandolfini with virgil that is a very 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 intense scene dude and he just absolutely crushes. It's just, again, I love Drexel so much. Could not have the movie. Nobody could have played that role better. 
James Gandolfini and his scene was just crushed. It was just intense as fuck. Yeah, I'll co-sign that Virgil and Gandolfini were ultimately more crucial and central to the flick, where, again, the drug dealer could have been anybody, but he is the most memorable character from the flick, I think. So I think that's why Drexler gets a shout-out. It's like, we, with Virgil, he did better, you know, get Gandolfini did great, but still, it's Virgil who's on the T-shirts and whatnot, right? You don't get many Virgil memes. Yeah, no, I hear you. That's fair. Well, see, there's also this, man. I mean, you can argue the fact that uh, the, the character is more impactful to the storyline of the movie, but I think that I, I don't know about that, man. I think Drexel's was just as equally important because that set this whole thing into motion, man, you know? Hey, he's just, again, he jumps out. Whether, you know, just the combination of Gary Oldman in the role. But at any point during that scene with Drexel, just because it happens at the beginning of the movie, were you worried about Clarence not living? Were you worried about Clarence not making it through? At that point in the movie with James Gandolfini, you worry that Alabama might not make it. Like this, this was a crazy moment where it was kind of hard to watch, dude. Like, and not to mention how hard that is to get into character to do that shit to a female, bro. Um, yeah, hard to do, dude. Hard I to do. Get I get you. Yeah, definitely very, very fucking. Yeah, you know, another big, big reasoning I had for this is James Gandolfini playing Virgil is, you know, James Gandolfini playing a role that you would kind of expect James Gandolfini to play. He's not stretching too far from from his usual. Gary Oldman playing Drexel is a fucking stretch dude you know i mean so it has some serious acting chops right there man right on dude i'll give you that 100 percent. he crushes too dude and i believe goldman's last two roles before this were as uh lee harvey oswald and then a vampire in dracula so that is definitely some range so to speak 100 man and and look if nothing else let's just agree that they all crushed, dude. Oh, and absolutely. Like, this was the most difficult fucking ranking thing I've had to do in a long time, dude. Yeah. <laughs> this was cool, though. I like discussing all these characters, and you, you talked about the range here, so I think this is as good a spot as any to do our weekly Six Degrees of Lebowski. We don't have any direct connections here. None of the uh, the main characters or whatnot, even supporting characters here, were in Lebowski, but we do not have to dig very deep. Patricia Arquette was in Martin Scorsese's Bringing Out the Dead. She co-starred there with John Goodman, who played Walter in The Big Lebowski. So, two degrees, you know my steez. Shout out, six degrees Lebowski. You know my steez. And let's start with one of the smallest roles in terms of screen time. We got our dude Val Kilmer as Mentor, a.k.a. Elvis Presley. Any thoughts on Val Kilmer as the king here? And, uh, I like it. Always have. And how does he stack up with other depictions of Elvis of, as you've seen over the years? It used to be a lot more popular than it is today. It's hard to mention this without talking about the, uh, was it 3,000 Miles to Graceland, if y'all have seen it? Because Christian Slater's in there dressing up like Elvis with Kurt Russell and Kevin Costner and David Arquette. Yeah, and it's... As yep. all Elvis dude, so it reminds me a little bit of that. And that movie is a movie that's trying to copy this movie. I definitely feel and trying to capture that vibe one hundred percent. And uh, you know, didn't mean to bring it off touch, but I, I think it's a good Elvis. I just wish 
we'd gotten more of it. They didn't really show much because they were worried about uh, legal stuff from the Elvis estate. But apparently Val Kilmer was on set for two days, but almost all of it was in hair and makeup. And you, I mean, what do you get to see his hair for? Uh, three seconds? It, his hair does not get much screen time. Face, almost less. Good suit, though. Nice gold suit. Great voice job, though. I think it was mostly about the voice here. And, you know, I wish they would have they kind of left it open to your own kind of interpretation of what you thought that was for Clarence. I wish they would have did a little bit more with it, but I still think that it was perfect. And how, but dude, I think the, the, the thing we should be talking about is not the details of how much hair time and face time it was, but the fact that fucking Val Kilmer in 1993 decided to do this as the mentor and take that role. Like, come on, dude, it's Val Kilmer. Yeah, you also know. at the peak of his powers. Yeah, yeah, dude, it was Val Kilmer in peak Val Kilmer. I think I read something where he was actually tr- gonna like or thought about taking the role of Clarence on this one. Um, and yeah, I man. think he probably would have been able to pull it off, honestly. Weird. Yeah, uh, probably it's Val Kilmer, but I mean, uh, Christian Slater is just it, it is what it is now, and I think that's you know I'm not even going to get into that. But where I was going with this was that the the role that he played in this movie is important because it is a uh, you know, and, and I like that you don't get to see his face, really. You know, he's more the voice in Clarence's head, you know, and that, and that makes sense. And I think it was it, it was a good way to depict something like that because it's hard to do in a movie. Like, you know, how do you portray somebody's voice in their head? You know, somebody's, you know, you know, inner, right, mental- your inner monologue. How to, how to display that? And yes, they went I- kind of the Jaws way with it, right? It wasn't maybe even intentional that they didn't mean to show the shark, but by not showing the shark, as much it actually helped to build the tension and here i think that's right it makes it more ambiguous and i think what really makes it work is if you didn't know it was Vale kilmer you probably wouldn't know you know this terms so i guess you have to go to the voice right in his his voice i think was pretty good i think i remember the first time i watched this movie i was i was i was younger because it was 90 93 you know so um or whatever and i and i did see it right away because i was like oh you know i mean this is like 90s with christian slater and i was all about it so new slater movie man it looks awesome went in for it man so i saw it pretty quickly when it came out and i remember the first time i watched it i was i was trying to figure out i was like you know because i had already liked val kilmer from the doors and 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 some other movies and whatnot and i was trying to figure out who he was and so i I didn't even figure out who would who the fuck he played in there until like you know another look through i was like well who the fuck was val kilmer (laughs) you know but yeah you couldn't look it up on the internet or on your phone or anything back then yeah no no i had to just figure it out so (laughs) it's a different world man it was a different world this isn't a Tarantino movie technically, but he damn sure wrote the script. So it's only fitting that our guy, everybody's guy, even Capital One's guy, Samuel L. Jackson shows up and he shows up in a pretty cool way. He only gets one scene here, but it's fucking memorable. Yeah, motherfucker, I eat everything. I eat the pussy, I eat the butt, I eat every motherfucking thing. Yeah. Especially because he shares the scene with Gary Oldman's Drexel Spivy, which we talked about extensively before this. And before we dive into the hot mess that is Drexel Spivy, any thoughts on Sammy Jackson here and his glorified cameo? Dude, I'm just going to say he absolutely fucking crushes. And this is so Quentin Tarantino, right? You got this hardcore scene. It's like a drug deal going on. But the conversation isn't about drugs or this or that. It's about eating pussy total quentin tarantino moment here and i thought samuel l jackson just 
crushes. I mean, steals the show, in my opinion. Absolutely, man. I mean, he's smoking off that shit. You'll be smoking dick, or you'll be yeah, you'll be smoking. You're smoking off of that shit. You'll be sucking. Send dick. Out, dude. You smoking off of that sherm? Be sucking <laughs> dicks. Yeah, dude. He crushes in this, dude. I cannot stress enough the fact that like Samuel L. Jackson signed up for this one random scene, and he shows up and he crushes. Like that just tells you, like people were like, "Yo, we want to work." with Quentin Tarantino and Tony Scott. Like you just, you can't convince me of anything else. Why they got the cast that they got. Also doesn't discriminate. He eats everything, dude. Dude. When was the last time you heard refer to smoking weed as smoking Sherm? That's pretty cool. Shout out Sammy Jackson for that. The nineties. It was in the nineties. It's You know, Tarantino movie, you almost expect to see a fucking Sam Jackson appearance in one way or another, man. But just to jump in real quick. To correct the wrong, or you know, just to just to make make everybody know that we know what the fuck we're talking about here. Sherm is when someone dips tobacco or marijuana into embalming fluid, man. So it's that wet, wet, or whatever they fucking call it. Oh wow, okay. So so smoking Sherm is not even just blazing regular trees. Interesting. I okay. thought it was with angel dust, but is that That's okay? Why? Wow. I mean, okay, smoking Sherm, factor, man. Well, dude. Fun, all right, so the fun so, factor. So kids out there nowadays, all right, um, kids, I say like 25 and to like- Yeah, because Angel does his show, I mean, if you check it, it ages the church, that's from Big Ellie Bonics, yeah. But like, the thing is, dude, you guys would never understand this, but like, you guys meaning like youngins today, but like, back in the day, it was a legitimate thing. I, I never did it and I never wanted to do it, but it was a legitimate thing that people were like- using embalming fluid on like trees like that was a literal thing for like a hot minute dude like uh, like it was definitely a thing like people were like dipping trees in embalming fluid and like smoking oh, yeah. it's, it's a crazy thing dude. thing dude that was a 90s thing dude it's totally i think it's totally specific to that era yeah. but it definitely happened where does one get embalming all right where does right. one sidetrack sidetrack it happened bro it was a thing back in the day one thing I, yeah definitely it, it was a thing that like we were like you worried about like it wasn't a good thing but it was a thing samuel's in the scene but he gets you know i think something that sets up very well for the movie because you're not expecting samuel jackson to get killed right away right so when fucking drexel comes on and fucking shotguns him that's pretty cool because it sets the idea, you know, maybe not, you know, quite Game of Thrones or whatever, but anyone could die. It, it so it adds a little bit of, you know, gravitas to the flick. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. This is also the yeah the first introduction of Drexel. So you know, just kind of thoughts on him. You know, Gary Oldman goes crazy with him. He is probably the biggest pop culture remnant that we get from the flick, as far you know, his memes and T-shirts and all that kind of shit and everything. So uh, soup, uh, the Drexel of it all. I mean, the Drexel of it all, it runs pretty deep, dude. It does. I mean, it's like, I could go on and on about different things in different. Until he gets shot in the in the deep. In, the, in his various thing. Yeah, he gets shot right in his various thing. Um, he does. Great shot, dude. That's a shot. <laughs> oh, it's a <laughs> shot. The it's a, a bullseye, dude. I mean, damn it, a dude. Bullseye. It's a bullseye, dude. You throw it off the orange. Like, that's your best day ever. You throw that in darts, that's your best day ever. Not, mean, even, uh, not even talking about, or not even bringing up the fact that, you know, Gary Oldman's acting abilities here playing this this particular role, which is just, like, crazy to be like, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just awesome. But uh, And he plays it so well. But the character itself is, like, just, uh, you know, you go in thinking, hey, what's a Drexel? And you always say, oh, it was my pimp. 
you don't think it's going to be that fucking guy. This fucking guy comes in and he just fucking lights it up, man. Like this dude steals, no you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just an awesome performance, man. And just a character that, that, uh, that was well-written and well fucking played to become, you know, I, I dare I say icon. <laughs> yeah. Just incredibly almost, I shouldn't say realistic, but at this time you get the idea when he has to, we Clarence that's Alabama. Oh, he's just a black guy, and she's like, "Oh, he thinks he is." Yeah, it's he kind was, of alluding to like you don't realize how far he's taking it. Oh, so he took it's a it nice little perfectly. setup for it. I just thought it was one more day, man. And shout out his body man is Paul Bates, who you might remember most from Coming to America. Just a little shout out here to Paul Marty. Bates again. Marty, yeah. yeah, deep, deep supporting cast, and I thought the whole scene between him and Clarence was just phenomenal. That's tarantino's dialogue getting to sing there the whole thing with how you know dexter drexel breaks down how clarence isn't paying any attention and then clarence tells them the empty envelope all of that i think that is classic tarantino right there and what i love about this is two things one just like the pie scene with clarence in alabama he remembers all seven questions he asked her and asked him back to back in this scene he remembers every statement Drexel makes and he responds one by one by one to the point where he's like, and I'm not scared of you. I just don't like you, but shout out to the fucking swinging lamp. This scene yeah. could not be half right. of what it was without the swinging lamp. The swinging lamp was dope, dude. It was so cool. And that's a perfect example of when Tarantino and Tony Scott came together here and said, we got something and fuck me. They did. Yeah, the yeah. shootout's legitimately straight out of Last Boy Scout, the way it's filmed. I'm no no complaints, but it's legitimately right that era of Tony Scott. It, it's totally cool, just that's what it is. Well, I'm pretty, man, but I ain't as pretty as a couple of titties. That's been one of the greatest lines ever, dude. Shout out, Drexel. And he's right. He's right. <laughs> and I love that he flashes a light on himself, and he's like, yeah. And he's got like that before grill became a grill. He's got like those little fillers in there dude where his teeth are the things and he's like oh he's eating some shit yeah dude and he's got the little smack but when the light pops on him i'm pretty yeah but not a pair not as pretty as a pair of titties dude everyone should say that and remember it and guys here's the good news we're just getting started with the heavy hitters all right there are so many heavy hitters it blows my mind dennis hopper shows up for a few scenes he plays clarence's dad any thoughts on Clifford Worley before we get to his famous scene with Christopher Walken, which should be everyone's scene that they love. I won't say favorite, but if you don't love that scene, you just don't have a soul. It's epic. Yeah, it's legendary. It's incredible. I think it's just a little interesting because Dennis Hopper and Christian Slater are both very kind of unique actors in terms of kind of their energy and their cadence. So I don't know that Dennis Hopper's kid would give you Christian Slater's energy. So you, maybe you don't think they would fit together because they're both kind of a little like, you know, eccentric, both very talented. It's just, they've got a vibe on a certain frequency and it just works really well. I wish maybe, you know, his dad clip had been a little bit more than just a cipher. You know, he's basically the ex cop with the drinking problem and despite our Clarence eight mile jokes, we don't really know anything about the marriage or the mom or anything like that. But I mean, Hopper obviously is just phenomenal all the way through and through. And uh, shout out Rommel, the dog, cool dog. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool dog, too, man. And, I, dude, I think Dennis Hopper played this fucking perfectly. And I think Slater and Hopper had that fucking chemistry on set where you could believe that, hey, man, that's, you know, they're, that's his kid or whatever, you know. Um, it does give a little bit, not much. It, it gives a little fucking teaser of a background when they do have that scene where, where they're, where, you know, they're trying to work it out and Slater's kind of yelling at him. Like, you know, after all those years when you're fucked up and shit, you know, he's giving the whole thing, but like, so it does sell a little bit of like, you know, obviously there was a bad divorce. He went off the rails and drank a lot, you know, shit like that. Alcoholic shit. Yeah. The basic gist of it. You know, he used to be a cop, you know, now he's like whatever security guard or something, but he still got friends on the force, which is why, uh, you know, he went to him and, and and asked for the, you know, information or whatever, you know, so that leads to the, to the story. But I think it was played really well. I think it was fucking perfect. I couldn't see anybody else being Hopper or being fucking Slater's dad in that movie, really, man. So I think Hopper played it really, really fucking good. And you guys see Frankie the Fly. So, uh, well, dude, and, and I'll just say, too, like the, the awkward. Don't say that Dennis Hopper can't lead a movie, man. <laughs> no, dude, like, and I'll say this, too, just real quick. Like Dennis Hopper, like like his response when. Alabama says, you know, that they're married and basically hits him with it. I'm his father. (laughs) That's all right. I'm his wife, Alabama Worley. And the ability for Christian Slater and Dennis Hopper to work kind of bouncing off each other the way they did here was incredible. Oh, yeah. I love that. It's a perfect combination of like this was greatly, greatly written out to where you can tell kind of like a lot about the backstory here in about five seconds. But it's acted out to a point where it's like, damn, dude, that really works between the two of them. And it's kind of a deep scene, dude. And you just, you know, you got to give it to both of them here. Christian Slater obviously really digs in. And it's like, fuck, man. Like, I kind of, like, agree with him. And you, you like kind of how that that shaped out with, with, with Dennis Hopper. I, I thought that, again, you can't picture it as anything else. I mean, it's it's, to me, this was really good. I agree with absolutely everything you said. And I just want to point out one hallmark of Tarantino is this random attention to detail. When Clarence gives Bamba the money to go get beer. Get a, get a six pack of something imported. Hard to tell you what to get because different places have different things. Here, you should cover it up, doggy. Okie dokie, doggy daddy. That is an incredibly mundane statement, but very true. In it's almost goes unmentioned and that's the kind of thing that tarantino has always excelled at is writing dialogue that sounds how actual human beings converse yeah especially when you've been up all night doing cocaine and you want fucking uh beer and chicken before 9 a.m <laughs> brown chicken baby there's a reason they're open that early i'm a big fan of whiskey chicken like go and get fried chicken and whiskey like that's a win. And just like Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Walken only gets one scene, but f- dude, he makes it count. Holy shit. Christopher Walken plays legendary mobster Vincenzo Conchetti, who has an extremely memorable confrontation with Dennis Hopper's Clifford. Give me your thoughts on Vincenzo in the big scene between him and Clifford Worley and just absolutely how epic it was and why it's your favorite scene in this movie because it is awesome. This is just a highlight of two, you know, top-notch actors going at each other. It, I think Tony Scott does a great job of dialing 
both of them in because again walken is another dude with his own very unique energy over the years he's shown the ability to regulate it to a certain extent to be in different things to you know be anything from frantic to you know the classic christopher walken slow delivery but here he, he Basically feels to me a little bit like a more polished version of Frank White from King of New York. I, I really enjoy that. But man, this is great in just a lot of one one shots back and forth. You don't really go wide very often. It's shot great. Both actors kill it. And I, I just think there's a lot of ways you can read the scene and we can get into it. That, But overall, like you said, like, yeah, there's a reason this is, you know, probably the most famous, most memorable scene from the flank. I mean, yeah, for sure, dude. Without going into too much detail here, I I think that just the 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 interactions between the two characters are fucking incredible, man. And you know, at a certain point, it's like you know, you you roll in thinking you like, so you're playing, you're you're in your mind right now. You're Dennis Hopper's character, Clifford. You roll into to the joint, man, and and you immediately get ransacked, and you're like, fuck. After a couple of minutes, you realize, man this guy's going to fucking kill me, you know? So he went ahead and fucking just made it worth it, dude. <laughs> you know, I mean, what else are you going to do, man? But, uh, I mean, in the dialogue here, you know, it was important just to like, just to have that kind of, uh, kind of energy in there. I don't know, man, it, it's, it's legendary. And I think people grasp this as one of the most impactful scenes from the movie, if not the most impactful scene from the movie, because of it just the, the 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 gravity of it, man, on on multiple levels, you know. So, uh, yeah, I agree with absolutely everything you said. There's one little nice piece of foreshadowing when uh, he gets back, when Clifford gets back. Rommel the dog runs away, so he yeah. senses the danger. Shitty job by the dog, not defending Shitty his job master. By the dog, he, dude, I know, man. <laughs> he just lets him go. So that's a nice little subtle thing. Again, you have to, to love stuff like that in in a flick like this. In when they get into it, I think you're exactly right. Clifford realizes if they torture him, he's going to give up the information. Unfortunately, he left it in the form of you know a note on the middle of his fridge, so right. it was kind of all for naught. But that's what Walken told him at the beginning: you can do whatever; it won't matter. You know how you know slow or fast it is. I think at the point when he asks for the cigarette, that's when he accepts. All right, this is it. That's yeah. how I kind of yeah. really like before he thought there was maybe a chance he's pushing him. He's trying to see, but this is, you know, his experienced cop. He knows what he's working with. And so when he asked for that cigarette in my mind, I'm like, all right. So this is him accepting like he's got to get this guy to kill him. Otherwise he's going to spill the beans or get tortured. Right. And even not either way, no good outcomes at that point. He's accepted his fate. You know, he wasn't drinking before he wasn't having a beer. I'm sure if he, they offered him, you know, a drink to go with the, uh, the Chesterfield or whatever it was, he would have accepted it. So that's yeah. it. And just, yeah. it's just one last thing, guys, can we just, again, just highlight how good Quentin Tarantino is at writing? <laughs> I mean, the dialogue here is just, Oh man, I mean, it's honestly, he actually said this is he heard this is what he has actually said. Is this isn't something he came up with originally? He heard someone sell this to someone else, and he wrote, like wrote it down in his notebook or whatever, like something to do a scene of later on. I gotta believe that he made it his own, but he it just again he didn't back down from having two incredible actors dueling it off here, and he adds value to the scene. It's the dialogue's incredible. That's part of the reason why it's so good. And then it's just portrayed so perfectly uh, by Christopher Walken and, and and Dennis Hopper. And guys, I got good news for you. Real quick, just to support your point, 
there's only two improvised words, at least according to Dennis Hopper. It was uh, eggplant and cantaloupe. Everything else was in the script. So all Tarantino except for those two improvs, but you could see why they left them in because they both landed. Oh, oh yeah. they landed. And I got good news for you guys and everyone listening. We're going to stick with the big names, and we're going to talk about Michael Rappaport here as Dick Ritchie and Brad Pitt playing Floyd. Dick helps Clarence and Bama try to move their cocaine while Brad Pitt is a scene-stealing guy on the couch. Tarantino said that he based the two on an on all the roommates he had over the years in LA before making it big, which is really cool. Any thoughts on the characters and do they remind you of any roommates that you guys have had over the years? Yes. And yes, <laughs> I think I've probably roomed with both of these guys and also been both of these guys at one point or another. I feel like, yeah, I'm probably right there with you, man. I, <laughs> I definitely, I definitely have had those roommates where it's like, you know, I mean, oh, you fucking used up the last piece of toilet paper man you know and shit like that and you know i don't I've know i see people leave like a one little square left of like so someone else would be the you know that little Can't you get up and get the door oh i didn't even hear it man i was laying right next to it and shit you know what i mean it's like <laughs> i've had dudes on the couch living with me and shit before man i've had dudes living on the floor with me before dude you know what i mean i've had, i've been through a slew of fucking roommates and shit over my my time so I, i've seen uh, a lot and yeah i probably had a little share of each of one of those man you know and the dick richie's a little bit more high strung you know he's yeah he, he he's the one who makes sure the utilities don't get shut off yeah 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 he's not doing a good job on keeping the toilet paper stocked up though man or the beer or the cleaning supplies man so you know you gotta cleaning supplies <laughs> where else are you gonna get those little honey joints from hey get some some beer and some, some cleaning products. Yeah, I mean, both guys are great. Uh, definitely pitch perfect early career Michael Rappaport, where he always kind of had that nervous, kind of like kind of urban white guy energy or whatever. And it, it always worked for me. I've generally always in, enjoyed yeah. Michael Rappaport. In, I think just Floyd gets extra credit now after the fact, because now it's like, oh, it's Brad Pitt. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like back, back then, then he, it was like he was, was, he was coming Pitt. up, but he wasn't yeah. fucking Brad Pitt then. So now it's kind of cool that Brad Pitt on the couch. Yeah, he was still. He was not. He was nowhere he was near still Brad Pitt Brad. though, dude. Ninety three Brad Pitt. He's still somebody like. Yeah, he was still. I think the dude from Thelma and Louise. I don't think he had really. It was still he hadn't landed yet, too. He hadn't been fucking. No, I think. I think there was like an interview with the vampire, or maybe a yeah, like, interview with the vampire. That was it. That was. I mean, just the year. Like that was filmed. That was already probably filming before this release. So he was still. Why do you think he's just a dude on a couch? Yeah, yeah, he was. A dude it's not a cameo. That was the kind of job he was booking. And down the line, so I think they had a. You know, obviously they had met, hung out, was like, oh, I mean, I'll be in the movie or whatever. You know, Tarantino. Yeah, like, Brad Pitt's great. He's one of the, again. You, you hate like the, somebody could be on like the uh, the sexiest man in the world type dude, but also be good at acting and shit. It's like, God damn it, dude, save something for other people. Yeah, I've you know, I mean, it was some some guy. But Brad Pitt, I always thought was kind of cool, man. I was, I was. Twelve Monkeys sold it to me for him. Like that's a movie that's on me on Brad Pitt. Like with sheets and towels, like a big hotel with great drugs for all of us nutcase lunatic maniac devils. Clarence convinces Dickie to hook him up with Elliot Blitzer, played by Bronson Pinchot, 
who in turn hooks him up with Hollywood producer Lee Donowitz, played by Saul Rubinek. And uh, what do we think about these two guys? They're kind of the epitome of Hollywood in the flick. You know, the uh, overconfident actor, the crazy drug producer. I mean, he's just buying this for personal use, right? Dude's dropping 200K on some personal use, I think. I mean, you're you're talking about guys that can afford $200,000, guys that can use a whole fucking suitcase full of coke. Basically, guys, you don't know. Guys, I don't know. And more importantly, they don't know you. Dude, that is the best part, right? Like, these are what, yeah, especially I'm assuming Tarantino viewed Hollywood guys at at this time. It's just basically like, just they're the absolute fucking worst. And that makes it pretty awesome. Yeah. No, I think it's a stereotypical kind of like, you know, you got the struggling actor who's still taking acting classes, by his way, by the way, and is, and is you know, working as an intern or a fucking secret or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Or a big time uh, movie producer who has done movies, uh, you know, uh, that that have made it. That have made it, you know. Like uh, I think in this movie, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, what is it? Uh, Two billion or something. He says, right? He says a lot of. Yeah, coming home in a body bag was his thing. Which is kind of like a, you know, uh, maybe like an apocalypse now comparison or something like that, you know. So yeah, you give the stereotypical fucking, you know, a, a movie producer who, you know could use a suitcase full of cocaine and has the money for it. And the struggling actor who works for the guy who is just trying to land roles and still in acting school and everything else, which is, you know, well played by Bronson Pinchot. And uh... (laughs) there's so much good shit between them, even in the initial conversation where he's trying to talk about Dickie and Elliot Messier says, like, you want me to suck his dick? (laughs) That's always fucking great. It just uh, Elliot on the fucking roller coaster. That is definitely Elliot a fucking so top notch right there. And just the way he capitulates and apparently uh, the scene where the cops roll up and he's covered in coke, that was all just improv. And I thought that whole bit was really great. After all I did for you, you fucking whore. Who the fuck do you think you're <laughs> Nice little touch if you really listen. Uh, dude, Lee never asked for a sample bag. That was just Bull on his own trying to get himself a nice big sample bag. And uh, never says anything God about fucked it. him just like it did to, you yeah. know, in uh, Fear and Loathing. God fucked him, dude. dude that's, or maybe, yeah. maybe he's an narcotics agent. I don't know. See, uh, yeah, fucking Lee never even asked about the fucking sample bag, man. Like later in there, he never got it, obviously. So he was like, well, what the fuck? Yeah, that was straight up Elliot Blizzard's trying to fucking get fucking road dome dude i mean you're the one that wanted to go fast dude and can i just say shout out wolf blitzer who remains bills fan go bills uh yeah yeah fucking go bills man i'm down for that but uh and it was also uh revealed after the fact that lee donowitz is actually supposed to be joel silver who produced several tony scott flicks including uh the last boy scout bruce willis also hated him it was one of those kind of tongue-in-cheek things, and it, the actor wasn't sure, and he asked Tony Scott, and he's like, oh, yeah, you nailed that fucking asshole kind of deal. And, you know, and apparently they, they, they kissed him made up a little bit after that, but uh, Tony Scott said, uh, Hollywood satire is affectionate, but Joel didn't talk to me for a long time after that. I mean, I when it, <laughs> that, I mean, when you're implying that a producer is going to spend 200 k back then, this that's probably like almost 750k it's a lot of money in nowadays money how much is those daily personal cost? use cocaine and it was 500 you know grand worth for 200 grand so this is a lot of cocaine for personal use 
I, you got, you got a 500,000 worth of cola you're unloading for 200. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's definitely a lot for personal use, but Hey, you could play Santa Claus with it for whatever the fuck reasons or whatever he wants to do. But where I, I was, dude, I'm sorry, dude. We don't, we don't have Coke, but there's a Pepsi machine right, right down the hall. Yeah. <laughs> I only, you know, I'm, I'm thinking still, I'm still thinking on, I'm still thinking about Elliot Blitzer here, man. And I only have one question here, man. Do I look like a beautiful blonde with big tits and an ass taste like French vanilla ice cream? No, you don't. But who actually prefers French vanilla over vanilla? Is that a thing? That's what I'm saying. There's all kinds of other fucking ice creams you could have picked. But hey, an ass tastes like French vanilla ice cream, dude. Whatever. I take it. Because calling it chocolate would be a little bit too on brand, I think. <laughs> Even if chocolate is the most. You know, everyone, I think actually the favorite is the swirl. Everyone likes the swirl. How about, how about Chunky Monkey, dude? <laughs> Rocky Road. Rocky Road, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cherry Garcia, man. Fish food. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good ones, man. A lot. No, Andy Garcia, man. I think I need to mention here that James fucking Gandolfini is in this thing as well. I mean, if we haven't talked about enough big names, we got James Gandolfini. We got Tony Soprano here, pre-Tony Soprano. He plays mob enforcer named Virgil who has an extremely, I mean, extremely bloody showdown with Alabama. It's hard to watch at times. Uh, thoughts on Virgil and the classic fight scene between him and Bama? I'll at least say that this is the most Tony Soprano we see in James Gandolfini pre The Sopranos. I've seen a bunch of it. The only thing that even comes kind of close is The Juror, but I think that's just because he's playing another kind of mob type. But here, like, that's that energy. When he's sitting there and he has that monologue about killing people. First one is tough. No fucking fooling. The second one. second one ain't no fucking money right here, but it's better than the first one because you still feel the same thing, you know, except it's more diluted. You know, it's, it's, it's better. I drew up on the first one. You believe that? <sighs> and the third one. Third one is easy. You level right off. That's no problem. No, shit. Now I do it just to watch the fucking expression change. That's a Tony Soprano monologue. Uh, the voice even is almost yeah. Tony Soprano's yeah. voice. It's, it's not Gandolfini's natural speaking voice. He, that's as close as I think we see to the origin of Tony Soprano to a certain extent. I'll totally agree on that one. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. This was hard to watch. This was graphic. This was real. This was two incredibly talented actors and actresses kind of going at it um, at a scene that needed to happen where really at this point in the movie, you don't know what's going to happen. This is the Tony Scott of it right here. The way it's this incredible. scene keeps going and going. And I believe it took five days to film and I would fucking believe it. And my notes are like visceral, realistic, bloody, feral, raw, bloody, animalistic and did i mention bloody mm. and i've also watched the, the director's cut of this but this feels like a real fight for your life right yeah in a way that it, it doesn't always translate Definitely. in film this is someone who is frantically knowing that if they don't do something they're gonna die with the corkscrew and her stabbing him in the foot and it's setting it off and but i mean this is a just a fucking slugfest through and through 
and it gets bloodier and bloodier, but this is the detail in Tony Scott. The action is shot very clearly, so you understand both what's happening and the geography of the hotel room. It doesn't feel like this is some crazy space. It 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 just well, and know, the first time you see Alabama too, right? The first time we see her having to kind of like fend for her life, and, right. you, and that actually tells you like a little bit earlier in this podcast, Mills, you talked about. You know, they, they had her kind of like being somebody that, uh, you know, uh, homie knew in, in Reservoir Dogs, right? You ain't going to be Mr. Pipel because Mr. Pipel's on another job. You Mr. Pink. But the fact that he knew Alabama, well, this scene gave believability to the fact that like, well, shit, dude, she can maybe get herself in and out of some shit in, uh, in the world of crime, right? Like this is the first time this movie really saw her have to kind of go to the place she went. Well, I think in that moment, dude, there was a little bit of Mallory Knox in there as well, man. Yeah. It was definitely a Tarantino character. And all of, you know, I think all the, like a lot of the characters are kind of affiliated with each other. And uh, especially with Pulp Fiction, True Romance and Reservoir Dogs, there's a lot of fucking connection there, man. And a lot of those characters are very similar. That's why they use a lot of the same names and whatnot, because I think he just had a big idea and a lot of it just turned into fucking a couple of movies out of it, you know. So I like I like that dude, and uh, and the way she played this man, and it, it was very very gruesome and very intense, man. It was a super powerful scene, man. Well acted and well fucking produced. And maybe just maybe she gets one up on him because she kills him. The you know her first one, assuming she hasn't killed anybody before, and she doesn't puke. He said he did. So right, yeah. Yeah, Score true. one for Bama, dude. Mills, that first one is the bitch of the bunch. We've got a few characters on the law enforcement side of things, and you know, most 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 memorable, uh, the most memorable two are Nick Dimes, played by Chris Penn, and Cody Nicholson, played by Time Sizemore. Rest in peace, Time Sizemore. Uh, I think uh, Chris Penn. three got you, and rest in peace, Chris Penn. Fuck man, everybody cool dies. Uh, any thoughts on the cops in the film? They're just straight out of the 80s, right? Like, they are the 80s cops who are probably going to try to take these guys down. But also, if they had won by the time that Coke and Money made it back to the evidence room, like a good third to 50% of it would have been missing. Absolutely, man. These cops were just like rock hard fucking boners fucking going for that fucking big score of oh man i'm gonna get this bust or whatever you know like you said dude classic fucking like eight early lady one of my favorite runners was the more they heard clarence talk the more they're like i love this guy yeah i mean every time over the wire they heard him talk more they just kept getting more and more into him i mean it's a little half bakey and we've seen it in another uh you know flicks and shows as well awesome as clarence like i i fall in love with them i mean yeah Yeah, they were the audience kind of a little bit they uh when you're the cops and you're gonna bust this guy and put him in fucking jail, do you are you like, oh, I love this kid? No, fuck that. You don't love this kid. You're just looking for. He's entertaining you because you're listening to it and you're about to put him in jail and ruin his life. <laughs> and uh, would you believe actually that Tom Sizemore was originally cast as Virgil, but then he passed it up for the cop role and he's the one who suggested Gandolfini. Wow, thank God he did. That's crazy, but I'm so happy he did. I'd like to say I worked out of them both, but actually they're both dead, dude. Holy shit, how many people in this movie are dead now? I just started thinking about that. A lot. That's like I just, that's Chris Penn, Tom Sizemore, and Gandolfini all right there. All, there's three. Dennis Hopper. Hopper, Hopper yeah, four. 
Yeah, yeah. So no, no. Yo, somebody send somebody to help protect Christopher Walken. He's a national treasure. More than Tony Scott's dead too. Yeah, dear Damn, that's sketchy. Guys, and and look, man, let's enjoy him in this in this classic and shit, man. That brings us to the final showdown here, the big Mexican standoff, where almost everyone dies, but Clarence and Alabama escape with the money and live happily ever after in Mexico. Mecky Hull, thoughts on the climax of True Romance? Was this kind of what you wanted? Were you disappointed? Were you let down? Just give it to me like that. Nice and easy like a gentleman. You know what? I love that it worked out. You don't really see a happy ending a lot of times, man. I like that it turned out to be, uh, you know, kind of what the whole plan was. You know, it took a lot of twists and turns along the way and a couple uh, side roads and whatever, man, and unexpected and everything else. But it did turn out the way that Clarence planned it, man. And, uh, you know. Well, the title dictates, right? Like, just like due to Biden's title dictates here. So if true romance is to be, then that means they either have to have the happy ending or they both died, the, the Romeo and Juliet ending kind of, right? So yeah. I think it's dictated a little bit. I think it works. And I just think that the final shootout is just, again, so cool with the 80s of it all, with the coke all in the air, and then when you get feathers and it's just everything's everywhere and people are just shooting that old school uh, gun sound effect they don't use anymore. You know, the lethal weapon one has just got have to it and the old squibs and before you did the digital blood and everything like that again you know uh you know quentin tarantino has argued who created the mexican standoff or whatever here but it, it is played to absolute fucking perfection there's nothing i can say that would change my thoughts on what you said i'm in full concurrence magnamel soup yeah i mean it's crazy dude i mean shot the, the fucking cops come in and you know, and then the fucking mob comes in. So now it's like, well, holy fuck. Everybody's like, you know, I mean, like you're, <laughs> that's a lot of fucking firepower right there, man. You know, you're stuck in the middle of that shit. You're going to be shitting fucking bricks, dude. You know, so you got people like, uh, you know, like Elliot, who is over there like, uh, you know, help me get me out of here and shit, which ultimately digs his own grave for him and everything. But, uh, but then you got like Clarence in Alabama. Hey, Clarence is off in the shitter and Alabama's in there. And, you know, she's got to be fucking thinking, oh, fuck, what the fuck, you know? Um, so this whole situation is kind of fucking crazy, man. And then, you know, you got, you got Lee over there. He finds out that Elliot's, uh, the rat and shit. So he starts yelling at him and boom, he throws a coffee on him and it just sets everything off, man. And now it's a fucking, <laughs> it's a bloodbath, dude, from that point on, man. Yes, it is, dude. And one thing I don't want to sell short is the build up to it where they, they get in there first. You have the scene in the elevator where he tries to stick Elliot and get him to confess to wearing a wire and the cops do nothing to save him. He's yeah. begging and begging and begging and they do nothing. I wish somebody would just come and get me because I don't like this anymore. Get a hold of yourself, you fucking sissy. I wish somebody would just come and take me away. And then he, he manages to survive and they're like, oh, great. And then they get in there and uh, Lee takes Clarence aside to ask him what the deal is. And kind of basically breaks down to, he's like, well, how did you get your, uh, you know, the fake cop? They sold the, you know, he told me sold the drugs from water. How do you get him to do it? And, uh, you know, kind of it's like, why does he think that you can sell it? <laughs> I bullshitted him. <laughs> you are nuts. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. And that's why Lee agrees to do the deal because he feels so real, right? Like he actually 
seems to be that dude. He's just kind of like, yep, I managed to basically talk my way into this bunch of cocaine. Would you like to buy it so I can get the fuck out of here, please? And even the cops respect him. So it does a great job of, of setting up the shootout. And really kind of, you don't care who wins as long as, you know, Clarence and Bama make it out, right? That's pretty much the deal. Yeah, and that's an interesting segue here because we should talk about this, all right? And Tar- Quentin Tarantino's original script, so the original way of doing this here, Clarence dies in the shootout. It was Tony Scott's call, Tony Scott, the director of this movie, it was his call to give the happy ending. And Tarantino eventually wound up saying that it was actually the right ending for this movie. So he kind of concurred that that was the right call. Um, would you guys look at True Romance any differently if they stuck with the original ending where Clarence dies in that shootout? The only way I would be kind of able- dying for his romance, if you will. Yeah, uh, I mean, I can maybe see it, but I would have to get like I'm, I'm not that that would be a major shocker for me because it is what it is to me right now, and that's the story it is for me right now. But the only way I could maybe accept that is if they did like some kind of fucking other shit with the story of like maybe a prequel with Alabama and Mr. White and shit and go off on the side stories of that character and the advancement of what happened, you know, post that the way true man's ends, you don't need to post anything. It ends and that's it. You don't need a part two. You know, if it ended with Clarence dying, maybe you would need a part two to kind of like keep that character going or whatever. Um, Or maybe it's just because I know that that was part of it. And that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. But for me, I like the way it is. I don't think it should ever be fucked with. Yeah, part two probably would have been Alabama possibly showing up in a future Tarantino movie, whether it's Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction like that. I think you're right for it to be, again, you know, like I said, I think for it to be a true romance, they either have to have the happy ending or the Romeo and Juliet ending. Those are the two endings you get, and I like that they chose this one here. In, you know, Tarantino basically came around to it. He more or less said that, you know, if his script, you know, it'd been done originally as the way that it was. So be it, I, that was the ending he'd stick by, but the, for the movie that Tony Scott had shot, he felt that that was the best ending. And, and I really, it's hard to argue here. I like them getting away. I'm usually not for the all like, Oh, you know, happy ending or whatever. But I, I really think I wanted the happy ending here. I think we need it. I think the characters kind of deserved it. So. I wanted it to, and I'm glad that they did it. I mean, I think you could like, look, you can make a case that like true romance means beyond this life it's forever. And like the fact that Clarence like maybe would have given his life for his love for Alabama, I think you can make a case, but I'm really glad they went the way they did. I just, I don't know, man. I I think it was the right call and I understand why it may have been a difficult call in the moment, but if you have kind of hindsight 2020, I think it was the right call. That's really all I've got here. I mean, anybody got anything else they'd like to discuss that maybe we haven't covered uh, or just maybe glossed over a bit when it comes to true romance? I mean, there's a lot of shit. We're, I don't even know how long we've been recording for, but this this movie deserves it. It's a lot of shit in there. Anything else? There's been a little sprinkle on the top here. Right, Soup, I know you've talked about sometimes you use true romance quotes in your everyday life. Are there any that stick out that we haven't talked about? I do use true romance quotes a lot in life, and it's hard to think of one right now because it kind of has to come into play. Like, it just pops in there, like, you know, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. A moment happens, and it pops in there, you know? So, like, yeah, no, I don't know that I can think of one right now because nothing's popping in there right now, man, you know? So, um, Well, that's a bummer. It is. It is. But trust me, they are out there. 
<laughs> there are all that snow at the end of the rainbow. I see you searching for it. Yes, indeed. So you think you're sponge worthy? Yes, I think I'm sponge worthy. I think I'm very sponge worthy. You know you're nuts with these sponges. Run down your case for me again. She said I wasn't sponge worthy. Wouldn't waste a sponge on me. I just want to make things easy. I would like to make a motion to the court here. I move that we declare true romance to be sponge worthy by a unanimous voice vote. If you're in favor, Can you say just say aye. Absolutely. Aye. All right. That is a unanimous voice vote. True romance is sponge worthy. Not a surprise there. So we got that out of the way. It's time to give a grade two true romance. We'll keep it simple on a scale of one to 10 pink Cadillacs. How many are you giving to true romance? I'm up first here. Uh, it was made in 93, but I'm going to put a little sauce on that. Give me 9.6 pink Cadillacs. Jamie G. I'm going 9.8 pink Cadillacs. It's way up there for me. Yeah, baby. Who doesn't want to drive that caddy? That thing's fire. Clarence has got a fire car, dude. Let's just put it what dude, it is. Super hot. Clarence fucking... doesn't matter as much when you have a car like that. Yeah, super cool fucking super cool car. I'm pretty sure it's purple. Am I wrong about that? I think, I it's, think it's purple too. It's Mr. Purple. Yeah, I think it's Mr. Pipel. It's yeah, gonna be Mr. Pipel, because Mr. Pipel's on another job. Yeah, it's not another job, but uh, but yeah, how many purple Cadillacs do I want to put on the line here, man? I'm saying, I'm giving it a 9.87. Yeah, 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 yeah. True Romance is one of the best movies ever made, dude. I'll uh, I'll take that any day, man. It's fucking sick, dude. We're trying to get to a movie. You better get going. You don't want to miss one second of that movie. Is it that good? <laughs> it's the best goddamn movie I've ever seen in my life. Oh, dude, hangs dumb. I close out our show here we're going to decide what to watch for our next episode we're all going to pitch something and then vote on the winner you cannot vote for yourself if there is a tie we spin the wheel the magical wheel we're leading off here with our strong hand i'm up first followed by the soup deuce and then finally magnum mills i've been playing around with this for some time i'm just going to go ahead and do it I'm taking us back to the 1991 action drama thriller starring Sean Astin. I'm going Toy Soldiers. This movie was awesome. I think it's Sean Astin's best role ever. And he's been in like a lot of shit, including Lord of the Rings. Come on, man. We got great writing. We got a great acting. We got great story. We got Louis Gossett Jr. Give Toy Soldiers another look. It deserves it. And... We got a freaking 1-800-PORN phone number, dude, back when you used to have to do that. Like, come on, man. This is Toy Soldiers. Rock and roll, man. I'm pretty sure those were 900 numbers back there, back then. But, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> whatever. It all works out, man. Um, Toy Soldiers, good fucking call, dude. Damn it, man. So I'm going to lighten things up here, man, and go and go comedy this time, man. Completely off the, off the uh, path of what we've been doing, man. Um I want to talk about a movie that I don't think a lot enough people have seen, man. It's a Rob Schneider movie. You think Rob Schneider, you think like Hot Chick or fucking Deuce Bigelow. Probably Deuce Bigelow first and maybe Hot Chick and then various like random cameos and fucking uh, and, and Sandler movies and stuff. But 
Um, oh, and the animal was a good one too. Anyway, man, I'm going with Big Stan, dude. Big Stan is a good fucking movie, dude. It's got fucking uh, David Carradine in it, who is Bill uh, from Kill Bill and everything, man, as the master. And uh, you know, it's a solid rated R. It's definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's it's up there, and I think it's I think it's underlooked and underrated. And I want to give that a fucking nod, man. So we're going Big Stan, Rob Schneider. That's my pitch. Check it out. All right, well, I have a lot, so I'm going to spin the wheel, and I'm going to pitch whatever the fuck the wheel tells me to pitch. And this is the pilot of Severance from Apple TV. There's one season. This is very difficult to talk about without spoiling anything, but it does have both Christopher Walken and Patricia Arquette, hence the pitch here. All I can say is this is a very interesting take on how you divide your personal life and your work life. It is incredibly awesome. The second season will be coming out sometime this year. I suggest we all watch the pilot episode. I believe Jamie G has already. Soup, you would enjoy it. I am looking for an excuse to rewatch the first season. So I am pitching the pilot episode of Severance. All right, Mills, time to recap the options and remind us what order we are voting in. Roger Dodger, Jamie G, you pitched Toy Soldiers. The Soup pitched Big Stan, and I pitched the Pilot for Severance, and we vote in the reverse of the order in which we nominated in. So I will vote first, followed by the soup, and Jamie G is potentially the decider. All right, toy soldiers. Soup. Yeah, fuck, man. Um, this is a tough fucking call, dude. Tough fucking call, man. But you know what? I've seen toy soldiers. I haven't seen Severance, so let me go with that. Although I love the toy soldiers idea, but I'm going to vote for Severance. Soup with the Severance pilot, Jamie G. Uh, I love Severance. It's one of uh, the best shows out right now, but I've just recently watched it, so I'm looking for something different. I've never seen Big Stan. I'm voting Big Stan, which means we got to spin the wheel. And here we go. What are we doing? Big Stan. Oh, no shit. Man, I want a wheel, dude. Hell yeah. It's the first time I ever fucking want a wheel, I think, man. Congratulations, dude. You won the wheel. Did, did any uh and how excited are you for Big Stan? Uh you know, pretty big, pretty big, pretty excited. It's cool. I think it I think it'll be fun for you guys to check out, man. It's different. You know, we've been kind of on a serious tip. This is a straight up comedy. It's funny, it's a good fucking like happy medicine kind of vibe. And it's uh it's cool. It, it's, it's a good one, man. I, I'm looking forward to talking about it. All I can say is I hope soup, I hope you don't I hope you don't deliver another one of your ones where you Put us in. Would you have us watch that one with the British dude who was like before? I mean, a panic, nervous. No, Sue. I will never forgive you for making us watch that one and selling it as high as it was, and it was basically bullshit and it sucked. Oh, the Simon Pegg joint. The Simon Pegg joint, dude. It was fucking terrible. It wasn't that bad. Was it a rational fear of everything or something like that? I don't know if that was exact title. It was something like that. I mean, I I I thought it was. He compared it to Fear and Loathing. There's no way. Whatever, man. Um, yeah, I was, you know, I got really uh, zoned in and and watched it, and and I was, I was and, like, and I, Jamie I, G, you had a chance to get someone else to, to to watch Severance, and you passed it up, so that's on you. 
That is on me. Hey, whatever. It is that. what it is, dude. Hopefully, uh, you, you know. I wanted toy soldiers. Be, you realize how much fun it would be to discuss that? Come on, dude. Toy soldiers? Yeah, I'm so bummed with you guys, dude. Like, Hey, man. Mad props to toy soldiers, dude. But, you know, I mean, I like I said, I pitched a comedy because I wanted to switch up the vibe, dude. That's fine. Hey, you know, you, well, you, I, you, you got to come hard. You're following up True Romance, man. You got to come with a heater. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, now, that's, now you put it like that. That's where I wanted. See, this is where I was like, man, should I pitch like a Tarantino movie or something? This like, is where you pull the Demolition Man card, dude. Yeah, you should have did it because I have a feeling this is going to disappoint. But we'll find out. Don't go do it like that, man. It's good enough, dude. Eat Scorpion or something. It's fine, dude. You'll you'll like We'll find out here on Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Thank you guys for checking us out here on Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. We appreciate you checking us out. Please remember, like, subscribe. Just go ahead, do it. Do it now, as Arnold would say in Predator. Just do it. Do it now. Thank you very much for checking out Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. We really appreciate it. You can find us wherever you get your pods. Find us on YouTube or on social media at Dudes Watch Stuff. Any trouble finding our YouTube channel, just go to JoeBlowFootballShow.com. Brings you right there. Thanks again for everything. If you could, please, you know, if you enjoyed it, like, comment, rate, follow, subscribe. It helps other people find the show. We appreciate it. If you've got a movie, show, anything you'd like to see us talk about, drop it in the comments. Let us know. Again, we appreciate it. I am Megan Mills. He is Jamie G. That is the Subducer. We are all awesome. We are all people. We are all regular dudes. And thank you very much. We will be back next time to cover Big Stank. That three words went through my mind endlessly, repeating themselves like a broken record. You're so cool. You're so cool. You're so cool.